Let's all stand together as you find Luke chapter 3. And uh, for our visitors and then for all of our regulars this morning, I do sound a little different than normal. Got about 50% of a voice today. I, I was told I had laryngitis this week and I felt great. Still had a little bit of voice on Wednesday night and then Friday it was completely gone. And uh, came back a little bit yesterday, but today is drastically better than what it's been the last couple of days. Continue to pray for me on that recovery. And uh, I think we got one kid that may have, may have caught it this week. Hopefully nobody else out of the seven of us does, but be praying uh, for the recovery there if you would. <clears throat> but we're here in Luke chapter 3, and uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 15. It said, And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. His fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. We're continuing on here in Luke chapter 3. Last week we looked at the message of John. And as we're continuing our verse-by-verse study here in the book of Luke, we have gone from Jesus is seeking to, to Jesus is coming to Jesus is seeking. He is now here in this passage. And I'm excited over the next several months to be looking at the ministry of Jesus. But today we're going to be looking at the baptism of Jesus and what we can learn from that. Let's all pray together that the Lord will bless this time in his word. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, thank you for what you've done. God, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be in church. Be with us, Lord, as we're in your word together this morning. Be with me as I preach. God, I pray that I would say your words. Lord, I pray that you would just work in, in each and every heart in this room this morning. I pray that you be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's the first appearance that we find of Jesus in his adult life. Just a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus there after that time at 12 years old and his parents had left him there at the temple for three days, and we saw all that came from that. And I'm going to ask you this morning, have you gone without Jesus? We looked at Mary and Joseph and how for one day they left him, and they lost three days by making that one choice, that one oversight. Are we going each day with Jesus? As we look at this message of John, we see John the Baptist last week doing his part as the forerunner of the Messiah, preparing the way and, and preaching that message of repentance to any who came near. And as we're continuing on here, we see the prophecy that mentioned John in the Old Testament. We see the job that he was doing in Luke chapter 3. That prophecy is, is becoming completely fulfilled concerning him and his ministry. But as we look at everything John was doing, we see humility in his ministry. You look there in verse 15, it says, And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not. Many people came to hear John. 
You understand, John was an interesting person to be around. He looked different than everybody else. He wore camel skin for clothing. He had a long beard. He ate weird foods different than everybody else was eating. And he preached this message in an unapologetic way for people to repent of their sin. And as he preached this message and as he baptized differently than they'd ever seen before, he drew people in. And there were people there to be affected by it, people that wanted to hear, people that were against him. But as he continued to preach his, and, and, and to perform what it was that God wanted him to do, Many people began to listen, and they began to listen to such, of a, such a point that they were wondering if he was the Messiah. They questioned if he was the one that he had been preaching about, the one that he had been speaking of, and they wanted to know if John was the one they were to follow, whether he was the Christ or not. You understand that message that he preached wasn't his own words, was it? You look at the beginning of the chapter and it says a message came from God to John. And John preached that message and no doubt he he preached it with power and he made a difference. And people were coming and preparing for the Messiah. And, and, And Luke in his delivery of this part of history is the only one of the Gospels to mention the opinions people were taking at this time. Remember the setting here. 400 years since the prophecy of the Messiah was given to the Jews and they're, they're looking here at this message being preached and, 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 and in their flesh and as in their human minds, it's okay for the wonderings that were going on. And it's no surprise with such a powerful figure as John the Baptist that they were wondering and questioning his true identity. Apparently he was doing a good job at pointing people to Christ because the discussion was all about the identity of Christ. They wanted to know who this one was he was preparing for. But as they wondered this and as they asked this question, we find in verse 16 John's humble answer. It says, John answered saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. You know, it's pretty easy sometimes for leaders, or specifically spiritual leaders, to get too full of themselves. You can imagine that their popularity and a large following sometimes equates to personal significance and indispensability. But I want to tell you this morning that no man is as important as God. No man is as important as the Word of God. No man needs to get too big in his mind and his heart thinking he's doing anything. Anything a man accomplishes for God is only done because of God. And I'm thankful that John the Baptist did not make that mistake in his heart. I'm thankful that that line was not crossed when it came to these people comparing his ministry to the ministry of the promised Messiah, the true light. John was a great teacher and he recognized that Jesus' ministry was far greater than his own. He said, Jesus is greater than me. And and as he said, (coughs) excuse me, Jesus is greater than me, he went further than that. And he says, not only is he greater, but I'm unworthy to loose his shoes. (coughs) He was unworthy to untie the shoes of Jesus. If we look in history at this part, if we look at the customs, if we look at, (coughs) excuse me, what was accepted of people in this day and age, only the lowest of servants would untie the shoes. Give me a minute, let this cop drop work here. John acknowledged (coughs) that compared to Jesus, he wasn't worthy to do the job. He made it clear he was a lowly servant. If you look at genuine humility, 
In John chapter 3, verse 30 says, He must increase, and I must decrease. You know, John Bunyan on this thought, he said, He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. <coughs> he that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. He said, I'm unworthy. He goes, not only am I unworthy to be compared to him, I'm unworthy to untie his shoes. He said, Jesus is greater. <coughs> and not only is Jesus greater, but the work Jesus is doing is greater. I'm going to talk a little quieter to you the rest of this sermon, okay? Some have spoken about the baptism with, baptism with fire we find here <coughs> as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus repeated this phrase here in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. He says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So as Jesus left this earth, we understand, as Jesus came, he left his spirit to be with them always. And the Holy Spirit took residence in all believers. <laughs> and the Bible says in this thought that we are sealed by that spirit until the day of redemption. You understand that this morning? If you are saved, if you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Not only is he dwelt within you, but he has sealed you. Nothing can change that. And he says, as Jesus is coming, he, I'm baptizing you with, with, with water. <coughs> but Jesus is going to baptize you in spirit. His spirit will dwell within you. His spirit will seal you. It will not leave you. If you're a child of God in here this morning, your spirit, the spirit of God dwells within you, you say, well, Brother Himes, the, I, I don't sense that. The spirit might be quenched, but he won't leave you. If you're truly saved, the spirit dwells within you. You are sealed. Are you taking advantage of that? Are you living by that? Does the spirit of God dwell in you? you know, some people believe baptism of the spirit and baptism of the fire that we find here in Luke chapter 3 is the same thing. There's not much evidence to support that. As you look at the rest of the text here, we see it in its proper context. As we continue this thought that John had, there's a difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the baptism with fire. So John is telling them, I baptize you with water, but Jesus baptizes you in the Spirit and baptizes in fire. So what John the Baptist is saying, I'm a man performing a ministry for God, but there's one who is coming a stronger one, a mightier one, one whose shoes I am not even worthy to unloose. And he is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit or he's going to baptize you in fire. In verse 16, that word fire describes what happens to those who do not believe in Jesus. For Luke, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire is used to explain two different groups. And as we look at this and as we study in its proper context, there, there will be a separation of those who believe and those who do not believe. Judgment is coming. In verse 17, it says, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. What he said there is Jesus is going to return to earth one day as a judge. The righteous will be taken to heaven, 
The unbelievers will be judged by fire. This parallel text in Matthew chapter 3 says, Whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather wheat into the garden. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The wheat represents those who are saved. The chaff represents those who are lost. As we look at the text here in verse 17, I want to point out something to you. It says, whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor. Thoroughly purge. Thoroughly clear. <coughs> That's an interesting thing in the Greek. It comes from a word, diakathar. What it means is, if it's thoroughly purged, if that verb is used correctly, it means there are no traces left. Nothing left. Everything is dealt with. The wheat goes where it's supposed to go. The chaff is consumed as it is intended to be. The separation is complete. There is nobody left out. The separation will take place completely. So you either fall into the pile of wheat or you fall into the pile of chaff. You're either burned with the wheat in heaven or you're burned with the chaff in a place called hell. For the wheat... There's the blessing of the Spirit. With the chaff, there's a, bless, there's a curse of judgment. And there was a poll not too long ago that indicated 76% of Americans believe in heaven and 71% of Americans believe in hell. Of those who believe in heaven, of those 76% of people, 50% 50 of those believe you can get there without accepting Christ as Savior. I want to tell you this morning, no matter what people believe, no matter what polls are taken in society, no matter what the consensus may say, we have a biblical guarantee that heaven and hell are real places. There's a literal hell and a literal heaven. When the Bible describes hell, it says where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. You know, in Luke chapter 16, we find a story of a man named Lazarus, and then we find an unnamed man named the rich man. Some people like to call this a parable, but I don't call this a parable because there's no other parable in the Word of God that we can find, a story that Jesus told that gave a name of an actual person. But in this story, Jesus named this beggar named Lazarus. And as Jesus went on and, and to tell this story, he spoke of Lazarus and the rich man. He said Lazarus died, and he was a man that laid at the gate of the rich man full of sores. He had nothing to offer in this world, but the Bible says Lazarus died and went to heaven. The rich man died with everything this world had to offer and went to hell. The clear picture is your status in society does not dictate where you go for eternity. But as this, as this beggar named Lazarus went, went to heaven, this rich man went to hell, the Bible says that, that the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes being in torment and cried to, to Abram. He said, Father Abram, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. See, a place of torment. And it was so bad that this rich man said one drip of water would have given him some sort of relief. I haven't spent a summer yet here in Texas. I've heard it's pretty hot. The church was smart. They didn't bring us in until October. They move us here in the winter when this is just perfect. <clears throat> but I would imagine that when summer comes, when I get pretty hot doing something outside, a drip of water is not going to do too much for me. But we find this rich man begging for just one drip. One drip. 
And there's also a place he didn't want anybody else to go. No matter if he spent the rest of eternity there, he didn't want those that he loved to spend any time there. And he wanted somebody to go and tell them. Heaven and hell are real places. And without Christ, a person will go to hell with Christ. Heaven. As a preacher this morning, and as I look, as I compare it to what John the Baptist is doing, as much as I want to, it is not my job to make everyone feel comfortable in the pew. It's not my job to, 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 to make everyone feel good in the message that I preach. It's my job above anything else to preach what the Bible says, especially as we go through this book of Luke and we're going through verse by verse. So we're not going to skip over anything that's uncomfortable. We're going to preach what the word of God has given to us. And to point people to Jesus today means that sin must be acknowledged, the judgment must be understood, and understanding that God is in charge. It's not our choice where, where we go beyond eternity. It is up to God, and we must do what God has commanded us to do if we want heaven. We must put our faith and trust in him. It's nothing we can do on our own. It's putting trust in what he's done for us. And I'm not preaching today to try to scare anyone to choose heaven. I'm not preaching today to scare anyone into a decision. I'm preaching this morning the truth to reveal the need for salvation and why Jesus is so important. If we preach, if we conduct ourselves as a church and we try to share the gospel with people, and we do all of that by leaving and leave out the fire. We've taken away why the gospel is called the good news. If we leave out the reality of what, a per, what happens to a person without Christ, we, we remove the purpose of the good news. You know, the truth doesn't always make someone popular, does it? And as we continue on here in Luke chapter 3, we see John had problems because of that. We understand John had no problems with preaching this message strongly. Last week, what, what did he do? He had all these people there to hear him preach. He had all these people coming. He had the religious rulers there. And he looked at them and he called them a generation of vipers. And by the message he preached and the way he preached it, it brought hatred. It brought opposition. John not only goes after these people that were there to hear the message, he confronted sin as it was. And there in verse 19, it says, But Herod the Tetrarch being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, he preached against that sin. John confronted it. Herod divorced his wife. He seduced his sister-in-law, who was also his niece, and he committed adultery and incest in that prophet that 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 in what he did there and John was aware of those transgressions and additional others and continued to preach against the sin in society. You know, many, most people do not have a problem with general preaching, but many have a problem with sin being preached against. If society could, they would tell us exactly and they, they try to tell us exactly what we can or cannot preach. This part of the Bible is okay, but this part we need to stay away from. It's going to offend people. It's not what society believes. Persecution for these things, opposition to the truth is nothing new. Diversity and tolerance are not as important as righteousness and truth this morning. And as John preached this message, we see the response of Herod there in verse 20. Added yet this above all that he shut up John in prison. Most of the book of Luke that we find is chronologically written. 
For those of you that know the story, this, this part here is something that is going to happen in the future. You can look at Matthew chapter 14, John chapter 3, find, find the historical, uh, the, the, the timeline where it, where, it, where it really happened. We put it here in the middle of this text. But John was committed to preaching the message God had no matter what happened to him, and he was imprisoned and eventually killed for it. Being a faithful communicator of the word of God is often a pathway to rejection and persecution, even suffering. Are you prepared to do that? Are we, are we, are we determined this morning to share the truth with people that need to hear from the word of God, no matter what the result is? And, and I'm, not, I'm not encouraging anyone this morning, and I'm not from this pulpit going to preach truth in a hateful way. You'll never hear me preach that way. What does the Bible tell us? But speaking the truth in what? Love. There's a difference between speaking the truth and then going on a seek and destroy campaign with the truth. We can speak the truth while also speaking it with a spirit of love and, and, and something that can help people. It needs to be the testimony of our church. But are you prepared to do that no matter what the opposition is? Are you prepared to take a stand at work or to witness to someone that doesn't believe the same way that you do? To share the truth of God's word with them no matter the consequence of that conversation. Many years ago, archaeologists were digging in the remains of, the, of a school in the imperial, imperial pit. I cannot talk. Archaeologists, there we go. They were digging there in Rome and they found this picture dating from the 3rd century. And this picture that they found was on a wall, and what they eventually found out was a schoolhouse. And they found this picture, it was a stick figure of this one image of a person on a cross. And they had another individual on his hands and knees bowing to this individual on the cross, and on the head of that person on the cross was the head of a donkey, and there was an inscription underneath it that said, Alexamenos worships his God. By studying that, they... Uh, they deducted that there was a young man in that school named Alexamenos that loved Jesus and told people about him, and obviously it wasn't received well by those in his class. So they mocked him. As they continued to dig in that schoolhouse, they found in another room another picture and another inscription of that same boy that was there at the bottom of the cross, but this one did, said, Alexamenos is faithful. We see the persecution, we see the mockery, we see all these things that came to this young man. We, never, we didn't know him, he was never mentioned, obviously, in the word of God. There's not history books written about him, but we see a young man named Alexamenos who loved his God no matter the cost and was faithful. Can that be said of you? Are you faithful in your service to God? Are you faithful in your beliefs of God? Are you faithful in what you stand on today? John preached this message. I'm thankful that he preached it unapologetically, and no matter what consequences may have came, and as he was preaching this message, and as we look at the other accounts, we see as he had just finished baptizing, possibly his last person for the day, he looks down the path, and here comes someone he hadn't seen in a while. And as he saw Jesus, in the book of John, it says, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 
John in his heart and the message he was preaching is, I've been preparing you. Remember we talked about last week, he was the forerunner for the Messiah. He was there to pull those stones out of the road to make that path smooth for the coming one. He was there to pull those roots out. He was there to make everything as easy as possible for the Messiah to get on his ministry as he intended to do. And as he's been preaching, as he's preparing, as he's been telling these people to repent and be ready because the Messiah is coming. Finally, he is here. And at this moment in the word of God, we see Jesus confirmed again as the son of God. Jesus confirmed again as the Messiah. And if you look in the Matthew account in Matthew chapter 3, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And John, when Jesus came to be baptized of John, John at first didn't want to do it. John said, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? We see again the humility in John's spirit, the humility humility in his service to God as he was saying, I'm not worthy to untie your shoes. I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy to minister unto you. And Jesus said unto him, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. There was a purpose in what Jesus was doing here in the example that was set. And John obeyed. It says, then he suffered him. As you look at the baptism of Jesus, I believe it happened for three reasons. First of all, for Jesus to be identified as the Messiah. You know, John was told in John chapter 1, verse 33. Let's go ahead and turn there, John chapter 1. This is the John account of the baptism of Jesus, John chapter 1. John was told whoever the Spirit descended on was the Christ. We see he baptized him, the Spirit descended like a dove there in verse 32, verse 33. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. He knew who Jesus was, but there was some confirmation there. As God had spoken to John at one point and said, If the Spirit remains on him, that's him. And it was confirmed to those that were there. It was confirmed to John that Jesus was identified truly as the Messiah at this point. And the beginning of Jesus' ministry begins at this moment. Jesus also did it not just to identify as, as the Messiah, but also to identify with John's teachings. Look at verse 34. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. The one he'd been teaching about, everybody that was witnessing there knew this is the Messiah. This is the new one to follow. And as we continue on there, we see it was the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. As we get back to our text, let's look at what happened here in this baptism. So Jesus came to be baptized, and it says there in verse 21 of Luke 3, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. I, I haven't heard much said about this prayer. I haven't heard much teaching about this prayer. And we look in this Luke account, this is a little bit of information that Luke gave us. We don't find in the other Gospels. But if it's mentioned, I believe it's important. You know, before Jesus did something important, he prayed. We, look, we can look in Luke chapter 6 if we wanted to, and we could see Jesus praying before he picked his disciples. We can look later on in the book of Luke in chapter 22, and Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. 
We see several other instances like that, and we see Jesus here about to be baptized praying. Luke mentions Jesus praying before the voice came. A little bit of focus on that. So as the voice came down from heaven, Jesus simultaneously was praying up to heaven. And there may be someone here this morning that expects God to do great things for you, but nothing is happening because you aren't going to God. There may be someone here this morning that expects God to do a work in your life, and you, you have something, a great need in your life, but it's not happening. Is it, is it possible you aren't going to God on, for that request? You aren't going to God for that need? You may be here this morning with a sincere desire for God to use you to reach someone. For God to use you to be a better husband, to be a better wife. For God to use you to reach your children. For God to use you to reach your relative or someone you work with, someone you may go to school with. You may have this desire to make a difference. But if we're not praying to God, if we're not lifting our voice before him, how can we expect him to meet that need? If we're not praying to him as we should. love the history of certain men of God and servants and missionaries, that people that have made a great difference for God and great things have happened in their life. One of those people is George Mueller. Have you ever heard of George Mueller? He ran an orphanage in England for many years. And if we think about George Mueller, one thing we may, if you know anything about him, you would know he was a man of prayer and a man of faith. As he ran that orphanage, there were many different aspects of that ministry. They were always in need, and there was a certain day, as there were many other days like it, where there was a need for food. There was a small girl who was staying there at the time who was, a, who's, who was the daughter of a close friend of Mueller, and Mueller took her by the hand, and he walked her to the kitchen, and he said, come see what our father will do. And they went into that dining room, many tables there for the children, and they were all lined with the silverware and the plates, and had cups ready to go, but there was not an a, a ounce of food in that home, not any milk. And they sat down at, at that table in the, in the kitchen, and there was no money for them to buy food. There was no food there in the pantries, and he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. You could imagine the thoughts going on in the people in that room at the time. Immediately after he, he closed that word of prayer, the, there was a knock at the door. When they opened it, it was a local baker in town, and he said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you needed bread for the orphanage today, and he was there with bread. Mueller thanked him, and he gave praise to God for it, and not too long after that, a second knock was heard. It was the milkman. The cart had broken down right outside the orphanage. And the milkman had to empty out the milk from the milk cart, and he went to the orphanage. He said, I need to give the children this milk so I can work on the cart. A prayer of faith that God answered. There's many other stories like that in this man's life, but this is what he said. Mueller said, the great fault of the children of God is they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory... They should pray until they get it. I encourage you today, pray. Speak to God. On Wednesday nights, we're going through a series on prayer. And for the next uh, several weeks, we're going to be continuing that series. Are you a Christian that prays? We continue on here with Jesus. We see him identified as part of the Trinity. 
It says, And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are what? One. It's an important part of doctrine we need to believe and stand on. But first of all, we see God the Son here. God the Son. Jesus is God. But he emptied himself of the rights of deity and yielded himself to the Holy Spirit. And this morning we open the service reading Philippians chapter 2. What does it tell us? Who being the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus did that for you. He was in the presence of God, but he came for us. And we see Jesus, God's son, part of the Trinity. He came to earth as the son of God to make it possible for us to be sons of God. You know, if Jesus was here getting baptized and he was not the son of God, nothing he was going to do from this point forward would have made any difference for mankind. But because he is the son of God, he's the only solution to man's great need. So we see God the Son, we also see God the Holy Ghost. He descended there, and I, could, I, could imagine, I couldn't imagine being there and witnessing what happened. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on Jesus. But as we look here, the Spirit was the key to Jesus' ministry. And it testified to the truth that Jesus was then and still is today the Messiah. The Spirit, was showing, the Spirit showing himself here at this point was going to be with Jesus for his ministry. We look, next week, we're going to look at Jesus being tempted there in the desert. Jesus was led to the wilderness by the Spirit. We look there. And as we've mentioned today, if you are saved, he dwells within you. Are you purposed to follow the Spirit? Jesus was. At this moment, the Spirit came on Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit the rest of his earthly ministry. And then he left him here with us. But are you purposed to follow the Spirit's leading? Are you living by His Spirit this year, our theme? I'm not talking about emotions. I'm not talking about feelings, but I'm talking about the leading of God in your life. Are you willing to follow that? Are you determined to follow that? Let me see God the Father here. All the authority that belongs to the Father also belongs to Jesus. But God Himself testified. The voice of God declared at this point, Jesus was his son. We don't need any more proof of that today. You know, when, when they came to Mary there with the news of the Messiah being her child, they said, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. Declared again, that was the son of God. The voice of God declared Jesus as his son. All who were there in attendance heard that what was recorded. And as Jesus was baptized, he is said to fulfill all righteousness. There's no repenting he needed to do as an example that was set for us. And what he did pleased his father. You know, in the beginning of our text, we see people drawn to John. John, is it you? 
The, the Messiah that you've been preaching about, the one, the one that you keep telling us is coming, is it you? Are you the Messiah? We will follow you anywhere. What did he say? I'm, I'm not worthy to loose his sandals. If you, if you can find John chapter 3 again, find that and we'll be dismissed here in just about five minutes, I promise you. Later on in his ministry, the followers of Jesus continued to grow, obviously, and they grew to a point where the loyal followers of John the Baptist were concerned even more of what was going on. And as they began to question and as they wondered of all that was going on, they, were, didn't, they, they respected John and wanted John to have respect in return. But what did John say in verse 30? He must increase, but I must decrease. John said, it's not about me. It's about him. And the, and the same goes for us today. And he continued on there in verse 31. It says, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth, but he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that receiveth his testimony is set to seal that God is true, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Then he said in verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I want to tell you today, the only life you need is found in Jesus. Imagine with me these people at this point in history. For hundreds of years, the question that was asked often and we find it asked in the word of God, and one way or another is, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Every year they celebrate the Passover. Every year they go through their traditions, they do what God's commanded them to do. And we, we look at different places in the word of God, and lamb was needed for sacrifice, and it was always provided. But the question continued to come, where's the lamb? They kept having to make that sacrifice. They kept having to protect those, those certain sheep that were worthy of sacrificing to God. And as that thought had continually been on the mind of, of all Jewish individuals, all believers in God at this point in history, as John saw Jesus approach, that question of where the lamb disappeared, and he said, behold, the lamb of God. Behold the lamb. And Peter wrote later on in his, in his first epistle, he said, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, you weren't redeemed by those things, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb of God without blemish and without spot. We no longer have to look for the lamb. He's come. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, Jesus did not come to make God's love possible, but to make God's love visible. 
And the Bible tells us as the Lamb has come and we understand how He came and why He came. And I'm so, I'm, I'm so excited about the next several months going over the ministry of Jesus. We understand why He came and we look in the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 13. And it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In April 1988, the Evening News reported that a photographer, about a photographer that was a skydiver. He jumped from a plane along with many other skydivers and he filmed a, the group of them as they opened their parachutes. And on the film, as they went over it and they played it on the telecast, the final skydiver opened his chute and then the camera began to go berserk. And now it's reported that the cameraman had fallen to his death having jumped out of a plane without his parachute. He had no idea. And it wasn't until he reached for his ripcord that he realized he was free-falling without one. And until that point, the jump probably seemed exciting and fun, and just like all the others he'd ever taken in his life. But tragically, he acted without, with thoughtless intentions and foolishness. And nothing could save him. Because his hope was in a parachute that was never buckled on. We understand one day the wheat and the chaff will be separated. And faith in anything but our all-sufficient God and what his son did for you on the cross can be just as tragic spiritually for a soul. I want to encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus, trust him. You're not enough. Without him, a soul is destined for hell. One day there will be a baptism, a baptism of fire, and the wheat and the chaff will be separated, and without Christ, a soul goes to hell. But it's not until a person put their faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for them, not until that point can they reach heaven. So if you haven't already, trust him. But if you have trusted him, point others to him. The Lamb's here. We have a job to do. Are we doing that today? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Have you accepted Jesus?